The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tag Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. Turning 65 or new to Medicare? Joe Rumbolo's Medicare Made Easy works hard for our veterans. Did you know you may be eligible to enroll in a Medicare plan and keep your VA health, drug, CHAMP VA, and TRICARE for Life benefits? We offer a range of different plans from a large number of top-rated carriers. We can find a plan that will best suit your needs. A Medicare Advantage plan specifically designed for veterans and spouses who are entitled to VA health benefits, CHAMP VA, or TRICARE for Life may offer extra benefits to you that you may not otherwise receive, like dental, hearing, and vision coverage, over-the-counter products allowances every quarter, one-way trip transportation to the doctors, Part B premium give back, fitness programs, personal emergency response system. Please contact Joe Rumbola today at 314-753-0792 for any of your Medicare needs. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum with your hosts, Jason Galvin and Dominic Masters. Today in studio, we have Corporal Bobby Christopher, United States Marines. Dominic, go ahead and kick us off. Hello, everybody. How you been? It's uh, good to be back. Jason, how are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Doing good. Just busy life. You know how it goes. Glad to be back at the museum doing doing our podcast again, though. Absolutely, it's man. Be another good one. I missed you, man. I know I missed you too, buddy. Just uh, life is getting, you know, sports are picking back up. So, but we're we're gonna keep this thing going and on the rails the best we can. Absolutely. Got well, a, got another good one tonight. Absolutely. Well, kick us off, man. Let us know who we're working with tonight. Our buddy Bobby Christopher. Bobby, how you doing, brother? Hey, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me, fellow Marine of mine. Um, I met you at the Fourth of July parade here in town. And we got to talking a little bit, and uh, it's a good thing you're here because Marine, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I served in the Marine Corps from 2002 to 2008. Um, I was a 0352, so I was a tow gunner, uh, anti-tank missile man, and uh, did one deployment in Iraq, 05, and uh, had a great time. Well, let me ask you, Bobby, what the hell made you want to be a United States Marine? Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna join the military, you got to be the best, right? I I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But of course, I will. Um, so tow gunner. Yeah. Tow gunner. What exactly does a tow do for our folks listening that don't know that? So a tow gunner, uh, tow stands for tube launched optically, optically tracked wire guided missile system. Okay. So basically it's an anti-tank defense, uh, system, um, largely, you know, in, in combat over in the middle East, right. You don't see a lot of tanks, at least after the invasion. So they're mainly used for, for buster bunkers and uh, looking through the thermal sites and trying to see what's going on at night from a, from an overwatch uh, type position. Toes are mounted to vehicles generally, correct? Generally, yeah. They, they could be ground mounted as well, but uh, typically we always operated mounted on Humvees. Right. When you guys have seen them in movies, you've probably seen them mounted to vehicles. That's I've seen most toes in movies and stuff um, mounted to vehicles. 
So how does that work? How, okay, let me ask you this. How far, what is a tow missile's effective range? It's funny you asked that. So I was telling somebody the story, uh, I guess a couple days ago, actually, um, something in, along the lines of just being confident with what you tell anybody, right? And sure. So you'll probably remember when you were, uh, you know, doing your infantry school and yeah. and you know, they line you up and they ask, you know, specific questions. You you got to be confident. But yeah. so I was asked that specific question. And today I still don't know the correct answer, but uh, I believe it's 3,666 meters. At least that's the answer I gave them. It's a good <laughs> number. I mean, that. but if you said that to me, I'd have to Google it to, to prove you wrong. So, like, it, stick with it. You know? It goes a long freaking way. I mean, it, honestly, the, the, the farther your target is away, the easier it is to hit. So if you're shooting something at 500 meters or, you know, 1,000 meters out, you have, like, no time to react because when you hit the, you know, hit the button to fire it, uh, basically you see a, a white discharge, a, a puff of smoke. Sure. And it takes a second for that to clear up. So you're, you're kind of... Yeah, you know, you got to be there when you hit the button. It's like shooting an old musket, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, have, yeah. you have to hold target because you have no idea if that thing actually. I got a quick one. We were uh, training with AT fours, AT fours, anti tank, fourth generation. The thing you see again in the movies, folks, on the shoulder mounted single infantry guy shooting it. From my understanding, there there are a bunch of different things coming out of that. This could be similar to the toe. I don't know, but uh, magnesium, I believe, is one of the. Um, not chemical, but one, Agents or it, one of the things that make that boom go boom. Mm-hmm. When you fire this thing, it it sounds like it just detonated, right? So it's again just like boom, you get this whole thing going. Well, somehow, some way, a piece of some of this came back and cut my face, and I was like, I have got to pick this scab to the point that it scars because it was going to be the gnarliest <laughs> scar just just total scar face i was like yes this is everybody was like are you okay i'm like i'm fine this is gonna be great i messed with that scab for weeks and it healed over i'm like damn it i really wanted that scar it would have been that would have been a good story well tell uh, us how you got uh, got into that uh, mos yeah so you know hang on real quick are you a west coast guy yeah i'm a west coast guy okay cool no, I like you even more. Yeah, yeah, we had hills, not fleas. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. All right, go ahead. Sorry, how'd you get into tow? Well, so I got into tow. Um, you know, long, long and short version, I guess, is you know, I signed a nasty reservist contract, right? Uh, so the one luxury of that is you get to kind of pick your MOS as long as your your cutting score meets it, right? Uh, as long as you pass high enough on the ASVAP. Uh, so I did. I got to pick my my MOS within reason. Uh, fortunately for me, I was living in Columbia at the time, so I was going to school uh, when nine eleven happened. And because of 9-11, my roommate and I at the time decided, hey, you know, we're both 19 years old. Uh, let's go serve our country. Let, let's go, you know, let's go fight this thing. Uh, so, you know, he ended up being Motor T, but we went down to, you know, down to the recruiter, I think within 48 hours anyway. Wow. Got into the delayed entry program and, uh, you know, it was kind of all she wrote from there. But, yeah, Kansas City, uh, they had a, a, you know, pretty well-known tow platoon. You know, this was a platoon that – you know, typically when you think reservists and you think think what you want, right? I, I know there's a, a negative connotation behind that uh, with, with a lot of those that are on active duty. And, uh, you know, we, we were a bunch of hard chargers. You know, we had really good leadership. Uh, we had a bunch of guys that were, you know, not only in, in Desert Storm, but they were trained by the Vietnam guys that they didn't take any shit, right. you know. And uh, that just felt like we were very well trained and uh, well, but in the great early, place to be. Sorry to cut you In the in early the, to mid-2000s, Reservists were active anyway. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. It was reserve. The negative connotation you speak of that we all know very well that that happens in non-combative time. You know, a sure. reserve one weekend a month, two weeks a year, all this stuff you hear about. But in the early two thousands, after we invaded in 03, as far as I know, most reserve units were activated and over there as much as everybody else. Yeah, I mean we we. I say we, I knew we were going to get deployed pretty quickly after, you know, I got out of uh, my infantry school and all that. And, uh, you know, that, that's what we signed up for. That's what I wanted. I, I Initially, when I when I enlisted, you know, I was going to college and um, I, I had, you know, envisioned myself going through the uh, officer candidate school. So I was going to finish up, get my bachelor's degree and then, then go the officer route, which is why I originally chose to be a reservist. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, God had other plans for me. I went a different route and uh, it was great, though. You know, yeah. I, so... I, I saw a YouTube short the other day, and it was uh, Force Recon guys going through their school. They looked like they were standing out, uh, like, on the, on the deck of the pool. And uh, commanding officer, he might have been, like, a general. I mean, he was a big dog. He was talking to these dudes, and, you know, 
it's that thing about uh, the the tier one guys, especially right now. You everybody's a scout sniper and Navy SEAL and all you know. And there's a ton of these really hard charging badass dudes. But um, this commanding officer was telling these guys, like you think you're you know the media Hollywood whoever's been telling you that you're this and that. He's like everyone else, not reservist necessarily, but like. I, 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 Jason knows me. I don't bash other branches or like MOSs or whatever. Like they're all sure. in support of grunts, you Absolutely. know? And so it's like, it's so necessary to have mail clerks cook. I mean, all that stuff is just in support. And so it's like that whole reserve thing's kind of a bummer too. But I think you guys didn't, I don't think you had to explain yourself back in those days. No, back then it was a little different. You know, we, you know, again, everybody that, uh, that had enlisted prior to nine eleven, and those that like us that you know we knew we were getting deployed the second we you know went off to boot camp and went through our training, and we urged that we were looking forward to it. I mean, we could we were chomping at the bit to get the call up, so. and especially with what we were dealing with as far as weapon mounted vehicles and and I mean vehicles were a problem, and if we couldn't call for error, we had you guys come up or javelin guys or whatever. But right. vehicles were an issue because they were out there, you know, and we they could they caused a lot of. It caused a lot of chaos, so it was good to have you guys over there for sure. What was the training time on learning how to to do this, uh, to use these vehicles with these mounted weapons? Yeah, so I mean, it's part of my infantry school at uh, at SOS, and uh, you know, collaboratively, it was about what thirteen weeks, I believe. Yeah, we did another three months at SOI. Okay, for SOI, yeah, not SOS. After you get out of boot camp, sometimes you get a leave. Usually, get ten days or whatever it was, and then you go back to your. You're not at MCRD at the airport anymore, but you go up to Camp Pendleton basically, and uh, that's where you do your SOI school infantry. So you're there for another three months. It's just it's not as strict and all that stuff. So yeah, school's a long thing, and O three elevens do one thing: toes, mortars, machine gunners. They all have their own. We you split up, and then you start working on your crap. So everybody's living at the same place, We're but all you're all doing different things. Yeah, yeah you, you basically break up every day, go to your own classes, and then you kind of rally up, and you're doing PT and stuff together. You might go out and do like a mini, you know, cat drill or something. But, yeah, you're all together just learn your specific MOS, and, you know, everybody's an 0311, and then everybody kind of takes that beyond whether you're a, a 52 or a, a 31 or whatever it may be. And then a lot of times – when when you're done with school infantry, not a lot of times, all the time, when you're done with school infantry, the buses came down for us. I was at Camp Horno at 2-1, right down the road from SOI. So um, <clears throat> the buses came up from like 2-1 and 1-5, I think. they they All all these units brought like five buses per se. And we were standing there and they were like, A through C, get on that bus. B through D, and that's kind of how you got split up. So you could be with guys you went through SOI with. I mean, you're going to go with some of them, but sometimes you get kind of split up, and some dudes will go up to 29 Palms, some dudes will go to Hawaii. Just, you know. So once you get deployed, once once a unit gets deployed, does everybody go together, and then you just kind of do your own mission? Well, you've been with that unit for a little while. So, okay. right, so after school infantry, I went up to Camp Horno. I started working with those guys for a year and a half, almost two years or whatever. But, I mean, like, at this time, this was pre-invasion. Bobby, I don't know if you know, we were the invaders in 03. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we, it was, sorry, it was fast work. We're like, everything was to do with we're going to war. And I know it was the same with you. So it's like, there's no, there's not a lot of like hang out, slow time. But so you know your unit. I didn't know those guys when I first went up there, but obviously you get real close real quick and then they give you orders to deploy. So let's talk about the deployment part. Yeah. Sure. Okay, let's walk us through kind of uh, from the time you left uh, the U.S. until you got there, and then what did that what did that look like? What were the uh, if any obstacles? What were the successes? How did you guys perform? What was the equipment like? How did that work? Sure. So I'll start with the equipment. Uh, you know, the, the running joke of the Marine Corps, right? You get the Army uh, hand, hand me downs, basically, right? From Vietnam, yeah. Yeah, from Vietnam. You know, the you, you talk about the Humvees we had at the time. I, I started off in a death sled, right, which was a, a high back with a you know, I was also a machine gunner, right? So I had a, a 240 golf mounted on a pedestal. Uh, basically, I was exposed for the snipers and everybody yeah. that, that wanted to crack at me, right? Now they're in those, like, cocoons of steel. Yeah. It's like, that just looks great. I mean, it's not great, but, like, when, when we were there, there were paper doors, you know. Right. yeah. It was ridiculous. So we, uh, you know, backing up a little bit. So with 24th Marine Toes, uh, you know, we had four sections. I was in section two, second section. So we ended up deploying with second tanks. Uh, so we teamed up with their their tank and scout sniper platoon. 
Uh, and also, I'm sorry, it's not not scout sniper, but they're scouts. So the toes and scouts, we were anti weapon. And uh, so anyway, uh, went over to to Lejeune. We did about a three month workup with those guys. Uh, and I talked about you know nasty reservists earlier, and you know we got hooked up with second tanks, amazing folks. I, I talked to you know my brothers over there on a monthly basis, um, but they had deployed about a year prior to us joining forces with them, and they actually lost their uh, their platoon commander. Uh, due to a mistake that a reserve has made. So we came in kind of, you know, again with that neg- negative yeah. connotation. And, uh, you know, my platoon sergeant at the time, uh, Staff Sergeant Pollock, uh, still keep up with him, amazing guy. Sure. He was telling me, you know, when they deployed back for uh, Desert Storm, you know, they they rolled in reckless abandoned style, kicked the windows off the bus, and they let the guys know they were there, you know. And that that's essentially what we did. We kind of showed up, let them know that, hey, you know, you might think one thing about us, but I'll tell you what, we're going to end up running the show. And that's what we did. Um, you know, we they, they had some crossover uh, with their ranks and billets. And, you know, we came in. Uh, my section leader ended up uh, taking one section. We basically got split up into silver and gold is what it was. We had two platoons. Uh, so they both became be, became platoon leaders. So we had Staff Sergeant Pollock on my side and then Staff Sergeant Ryder on the other side. And quickly they learned that, you know, hey, we knew our shit. You yeah. Know? And uh, so anyway, uh, you know, we, we ended up deploying over to Fallujah, Right after uh, Phantom Fury, so right at the end of Phantom Fury, we kind of rolled in and ripped through. Uh, so our AO though was pretty big. So we we're we we're direct, directly working for the battalion. So it was Regimental Command Team Eight. Uh, so we we basically had not only Fallujah itself, uh, but we would go to the outskirts as far as like Abu Ghraib, um, uh, Zion Market. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Karma was a was a hot area when we were there. Ramadi a little bit. So all these areas, really what was happening, you know, right after Phantom Fury and the invasion of that was, you know, all the uh, all the insurgency kind of went out to rural areas. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're in the rural areas where, you know, typically, you know, at least what I thought of Iraq before I deployed there was it's nothing but desert. It was nothing but that. You know, we're in like fertile valleys with, you know, just different kinds of greenery. Green, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, lots of different uh, canals and yeah. just waterways I never would have envisioned. You know, we're right around along the, the Tigris and Euphrates at points, and yeah, just uh, well, they haven't made it as a people for that long with no ingenuity. Like you know what I mean? They, oh, yeah. they had to figure yeah. out how to get water from the Tigris and Euphrates, sure, miles inland. You know, and it took hundreds of thousands, however long it took. But like these people have been there for a long time. They didn't just move in for this war. So it's oh, absolutely, like, they're not stupid. They can't no. fight like us, but they're not stupid. Yeah, no, they can't fight like us, but they're not stupid. Yeah, like said. Um, yeah, so it was neat. I mean, we had a pretty big AO uh, working directly for you know the regiment. We, you know, for for lack of better terms, we were basically pimped out to anybody that needed us, right? So hell yeah. So we were always outside the wire. I mean, we we might be out for two, three weeks, stents at a time. Come back for forty eight hours, get a hot meal, a shower, that type of thing, and then we're back back out. You know, yeah. in the streets. Um, that was that was a combination of you know everything from. You know, searching for weapon weapons caches, which we we found some big ones. To kicking indoors and trying to find people on the blacklist. Sure. So sure. Then um, so you know my stint over there again. We operate as a, a cat team essentially. Um, you know, we had two dismounts per Humvee. You know, I was a gunner in a Humvee. Then we had your vehicle commander and your driver. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny to make fun of some of the drivers. You'd have to put an L and an R on the. You know, on the windshield yeah. and make them <laughs> yeah. yell the proper way. But yeah, left. Yeah, the left other, kick the them other the left. left. Right. Your other left, sir. Yeah, please don't make that mistake again. The reason we're going left is because we got an idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a trip, man. Um, it It's it, – the thing about the vehicles that always – when we were there, just 0311 guy, we were attached to an AAV platoon that's uh, amphibious assault vehicle, folks. It uh, actually travels faster in the water than it does on land. Um, about, well, I don't know how many guys are supposed to fit in it, but about, you fit a lot of them about 40 can fit in there, full gear, ammo, the whole nine. But, you know, it, it was all – and everybody makes that joke about, like, the big – tin coffin and i'm like all right well then let's not be in here you know and yeah you can't cover as much ground but for some reason even in those urban environments where there's nothing i mean the avenues of approach and attack angles they're everywhere and it's so mind-bending to try to stay on top of where they could be who is that is that a you know but for some reason i just felt comfortable on my feet because it's like I know where I'm going. I know where I can go to get out, you know, but those vehicles are great to have because 
they say a lot. When an M1A1 Abrams tank comes down your street, you tend to like, okay. You're going to pay attention to that. And a big American dude with a machine gun on top of him, it's it's gnarly and it's scary. It it didn't work all the time, but for the most part, they were like, all right, man. Well, well, you, you, you mentioned hand-me-downs. Sure. What was the perf- was the performance something that you could count on for the from the vehicles as far as getting you where you needed to go, performing the way they were supposed to, in the environment you were in? Yeah, for the most part, Jason. I mean, we, uh, you know, it, it kind of we, we kind of worked through these things in progression, right? So I showed up and I had what we call a dust sled, but each one of our sections operated with eight vehicle stents, right? So we had. In the middle where I was was where the high back was, and that was a recovery vehicle at the time. As we started getting the gears, you know, other deployment, uh, other uh, you know, uh, battalion stuff started ripping out. We started getting our hands on other gear, whether it be like the Mac hit up armor, you know, Humvees, or you know, some of us towards the end of it got the full up armor Humvees. It just gradually got there. You know, it was hard to get that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I mean they were reliable for the most part. I mean we popped tires here and there. You know the, the IEDs that would hit us that was obviously uh, created certain issues for us to deal with. But yeah, for the most part they were reliable. Well, Jade, to to hit on that a little more, <clears throat> we don't have a choice. This is what we have. We will make it work. So like weapons maintenance, we didn't even fire today. No one dropped. I'm talking training. No one dropped a rifle in the dirt. It's not raining. What do we need to? We do that maintenance on every single solitary piece of equipment because we will not get more. Gotcha. Like it's going to be, it's it's a problem if we lose something. Accountability, everything. That is everything. What yeah. what we have is what we're going to war with. If we can't depend on this stuff, so if it's a Humvee problem, we might be able to get parts. But this is the basic skeleton chassis motor drivetrain that we have. So you so, learn real quick to take care of what you got, make it work and take care of it because this is what, can you depend on this thing? Well, you better figure out how to, right? So it's like, you know, sorry, you got a canteen from Vietnam. Does it hold water? Good. Then that's yours. Go. And yeah, absolutely. You've learned to deal with it, you know, and we do take a sense of pride in that. And it's like, sure. that's part of our thing. We learn how to be the baddest people on the planet with less. There's, I kind of took pride in that though. Absolutely. I mean, we were out there wearing, uh, you know, the, you old know, the school. old camo, old school. You know the, you know, the, the old cami flax, flax and, yeah. uh, you know all the stuff that yeah. most people didn't want to get caught dead in. We're out there shooting musket uh, M16s. Yeah. Where everybody's got M4s, yeah. and it just have you seen the stuff now? It's crazy. It's wild. I'm like, dude, I didn't even have. I had like old school jungle boots, desert color, but like old school. They're here at the museum somewhere. Old school jungle boots and stuff. It's like, well, now our guys are out there qualifying with ACOGs. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's it's dope. It's awesome. I. I I can't say I'm not a little jealous, but I'm jealous. But that's the way it goes, you know. But yeah, we we uh, that's a big source of pride for us is that we can we can do without. So you guys were busy, you know, weeks at a time, only getting a couple of days rest, or you know, time back at the uh, within the wire. Um, what kind of obstacles did you guys face while you were out for weeks at a time, and how did you guys overcome? What was some some high level obstacles that you were able to overcome? Yeah, so for me, I mean, sleep deprivation was huge for us, right? And especially as a gunner of a Humvee, I mean, you you are the one solely responsible for keeping, you know, the dismounts in that vehicle. They may be taking a nap, right? Um, but you're responsible for keeping them alive. Uh, and, and that's what the pressure you feel, right? You don't really worry about yourself, but you worry about letting down, you know, the men and women around you, and in this case, all men. But uh, that, that was my number one obstacle was, you know, making sure that, you know, I'm awake enough to do the mission. How's um, that going 20 years later? It's a little harder to stay awake anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting older, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Go no, ahead. no, you're good. You're man. ripping. Um, you know, so that was one. You know, another one again. The waterways we talked about um, those created a number of challenges that I never would have anticipated. Uh, one, you're cut off from certain, you know, um, you know, egress points or, or you know, ways to get away from issues if you need to find a, a, a path away. Right? Uh, there's only certain ways you can go, but. Also, a lot of these alleyways that, that ran between the canals were basically wide enough for a Humvee. Maybe. Maybe wide enough, right? Yeah. So we, we actually, actually, back when I had the highbacks, this would have been, I guess, the first three months of my deployment. Uh, you know, we had a driver that happened to be opening an MRE while he was driving, and uh, he rolled us right into a canal. And luckily, thank God, the uh, the water in there was only like five foot. Right. But we, we completely slipped in, and we, we had a, a team of snipers with us that so we were actively going to drop off and hide. 
And something that, you know, I'd say most people don't know about, you know, snipers in the Marine Corps is that they buy a lot of this gear themselves. You know, all these sure all these high tech scopes that are out there and everything else that they have, you know, they're they're paying out their their hard earned money for this stuff. You know, so you know, they're they're concerned one, they've got equipment, you know, like we talked about with Dominic that you're dependent on your gear. So now if you got a, a scope that's not going to work or your sights that aren't right, now you got problems. So, mm. um, you know, we had to work through that. And we ended up, uh, you know, a recovery, uh, Abrams came over with the, you know, with the crane and yanked us out of there. And, no problem. Yeah. I got hooked the winch up and just yeah. yanked us right out yeah. and back on the road we went. Yeah. So. And I, that's, that's gotta be one of the, um, I think like one of the tools that you take throughout the rest of your life with you is, plan a through like just go all the way to z because a is not gonna a it will not go down the way we have this thing planned i guarantee it's not gonna go we're not just gonna hang a left here hang a left here and come back home it's not gonna happen so knowing that and then what do you do when you get there and dude was hungry i get it but he went into a canal what do we do now we got to set up defense because they know we're here they know we're pinned down they know we're not going anywhere uh, that was it too. So the, this specific area we were in, you know, we were uh, just outside of Karma, which at, at the time Karma was Karma was a hotbed for, you know, a lot of the insurgency that moved out of Fallujah. So what we had found out is we're searching for these specific, you know, terrorists on a list is that they would hide, you know, amongst their people with their sheiks and they were heavily, heavily protected, right? So not only they see you coming a mile away, but if you had a problem, they know you're there and that's the ideal time for them to ambush you, you know. And uh, so you, yeah, you set up a cordon, you you protect yourself as best you can, but you know you're waiting for uh, you know a mortar to come in or sure. you know, whatever it may be. It's much like you see on TV in prison, right? With the with the corrections officers, those inmates are there for 24 hours a day, watching everything. They have nothing better to do than pay attention to us. We're generally, as far as Marines, we can be swift, silent, deadly. That's one of our things. But generally, we make a little bit more noise than that especially in vehicles. A tank yeah. is a jet engine. I mean, it's ridiculous how, so you, you, there's, they're just watching us and they all look like civilians at a distance when they're not holding a rifle or shooting at you. You, you just don't know. They what, don't go into uniform or a dude doesn't have a yeah. green, a, a orange hat on going, I'm here to fight you. That's not how it works. As a matter of fact, they stay incognito as possible. So they're just watching. And again, you being a vehicle guy, you know, better. Anyway, taking the same route more than once, I don't every few weeks and yeah. it's it's all dangerous. Yeah, you couldn't give them patterns, you know, and uh we we came in with the mindset and this was, you know, taught to us by by those that just came back and we were kind of ripping through before we deployed and you know, they they said, "Hey, look, here's how it is in in, in theater right now. You show up, you need to be aggressive. You need to be a reckless abandon when you show up and and they tend not to mess with you if you're overly overly aggressive." So our our platoon came in with that mindset is we're going to come in, we're not going to ask questions, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to let them know we're here. Yeah. The hearts and minds thing was really hard for me because we went in, rules of engagement were very different until the media showed up. Yeah, absolutely. Media shows up, and now we're doing this hearts and minds campaign. And I'm like, wait a minute. From day one in boot camp, you know, Bobby, kill, kill. I mean, yeah. and, and I know it's a, it's, it's, they're not training us to want to kill everything, but it's like that, that ferocity and that aggression is, is what the Marine Corps is. And, and so for them to tell you to turn it off, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't think that's going to fare well for us. And how is that conflict go inside of you for, you know, you know, you're here and going in, in full blast. Right. And then you get this message of hearts and minds. Like how do, how do you manage that internal conflict? If there is any, well, imagine this for me, I'll let you go. It's called shock and awe. Shock and awe doesn't mean shaking hands, right? Well, you don't shake their hands anyways, but you you go from shock and all to hearts and minds. I I only know one gear. I mean I'm not saying you go you, you make decisions based on those are children that most of them you know and this goes way into it and I won't go there but to have to downshift and start being just polite and stuff with people it's like because that has proven us wrong so many times no they're good that house over there is good we know them they work for so-and-so they're they've given us information on so-and-so the next day everybody's gone and they've either let people in their home to hit us or they start hitting us themselves so it's like i i just i had a hard time letting my guard down no i, I struggled with that too so i mean really the the hearts and minds uh position came over about three four months into my deployment mm. 
So when we got there, you know, we were told, hey, look, you, you see them digging on the side of the road, sure. you know what to do, right? Yeah. Um, three, four months into that, that quickly changed uh, along with the command that changed out that, hey, we're no longer, you know, going to going to handle this the way we did. We're going to win over hearts and minds and do these certain things. And if you see them on the digging on the side of the road, that's that's not a an automatic indicator that you got to do what you have right, to do, right? Right. You don't engage right away. Exactly. So the rules of engagement changed. And, uh, you know, we struggle with that, right? Because complacency kills. And, and if you, you have a split second to make a decision, if, if you're complacent and you make the wrong decision, you may not be going home or your brother to the left or right, you may not be going home. Um, yeah. So that's on your mind, right? Um, you know, I, I got kind of a, a funny story about that actually as, as the, as our regimental command team kind of changed command and I don't want to give out any names and, and the gentleman that took over uh, for the second half of this, he, he was commandant of the Marine Corps for mm-hmm. a brief period. And so when we were doing this rip through, uh, we were just outside of Amariah and Ferristown is another hotbed. Uh, we had just been uh, placed in a forward observing base that we called Camp Smitty. It had a, had a different name than that. There was an actual Camp Smitty and this was named after one of the Marines we were with, uh, that um, he lost his life in our deployment, not with my platoon, but again, with, with our regiment. And uh, so we, we were kind of, you know, taking this old industrial park, we turned it into a forward observing base and it was outside of Amari and Ferristown, which was a huge uh, hotbed at the time. So we, uh, you know, we went into Ferristown and this was uh, a day after one of our guys got hit with an IED. So we're, we're fired up and we're ready to go after this village essentially. So we knew where it came from. We, we had the Intel, we knew what was going on. And so we, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but we basically funhoused uh, this whole town, right? So I, by funhouse, I mean there's like, you know, quick shops and things of that nature that we knew they were bad people, right? We found pressure switches in there. We found all kinds of IED-making devices. We found all kinds of RPKs, uh, RPGs. I mean, you name it, they had it. You know, so we, we just funhoused it. We, we took semi-trucks and drove it in their electrical poles. We took their cars and just demo derbied them, and we flexi-cuffed. If you don't know what that is, basically just, you know, zip tie, zip tie, you know, handcuffs. So at the time we had probably 30 detainees kind of rounded up. We brought two tanks up with uh, HE rounds. We're ready to blow these buildings up. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing that, uh, randomly, we see um, a three vehicle convoy come up and it was the new uh, regimental commander happened to be taken over. And so he actually put us on a two week base restriction because he said we were too aggressive for war. Mm-hmm. And that was the the hearts and minds part of this. Now, keep in mind, you you had a, a brother that damn near lost his life the, the day prior to that in that same area where you talk about kids. They had kids wheel out tires in front of the first vehicle. He was the first vehicle of eight. So as they were pulling to the same area that we, you know, quote, unquote, funhouse, they laid these tires down. And as soon as they laid the tires down, you know, that was a trigger for the, the trigger man, you know, call up the cell phone or, you know, whatever whatever detonator he was using, a, a garage or motor, whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, um, one of our Marines dang near lost their life that day. So in, in memory of his name, we went back and we were going to get our, get mm-hmm. our point across. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it'd be reprimanded for that and, and be sent you know straight back, not just to the Ford observing base. We went back to Camp Smitty for about 24 hours. They quickly shipped us back over to Camp Fallujah. And, and there we sat for two weeks so we could calm down a little Learn bit. Your le- it's like, no, I'm not, I haven't learned anything by this punishment. I'm still going to go in with the same, or you can send me home. That's it. Right. I'm not going to go home in a box. So I, I, let's go play. This is my job. Now, was that, a, I mean, what was the decision-making process for that guy to, to change the, the way you guys were operating? I mean, was it something that DC. he was instructed on? Yeah. 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 It's political. Political. It's, it's, yeah. it's, here's your orders. You're going to go over. And, you know, now that, uh, you know, now, now that we've got, you know, Iraq in a position where it's at and we're going to, you know, try to impose democracy on them and get things established and start rebuilding. You know, now, now we want to ensure that everybody's kind of coming to our side. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it became just very political at that point. And the gentleman he spoke of before, which we won't name was very much the opposite. Absolutely. We, we were, we were still old school Marine Corps at that time. So things were different. Yeah, it's got to be tough to have all that training, you know, have one one way of doing things and then having to switch all of a sudden. That that's going to be very tough. But you know where it's coming from, which makes it worse because it's like you guys haven't been here. You people in that office that are making these calls, you're not here. You're not seeing what's going on. And the media twisted and trashed everything we were doing. It's whatever, we won't go there, but it's like you guys aren't you're not here. Come here and then tell me to calm down. 
because you don't know what this feels like. You don't know what it smells like. You don't know what it is. You don't know that these people are all non-combatants because they're not. Anyone can be changed on a daily basis. Dude was cool yesterday. Today he's digging holes. Yeah, but 30 bucks is 30 bucks. 30 bucks is 30 bucks to poor people. Forget it. So it's like you you guys making these calls on us. We're the ones down here dying for this thing. And and it's it just it was it is tough to to readjust. I just didn't. Yeah. One of the most rewarding things to me though, even in that same area that we we funhouse, right? Um I, I probably shouldn't say that term, but that's just what we knew it as. You know, we had we had residents there that you know, and Dominic, you could probably speak to this, but you know, you, you think everybody hates you. These guys, these guys and girls didn't. We we sat in a driveway. I, I loosely call it a driveway, but I'm basically in front of this residence. You know, shortly after this IED blast, and next thing I know, you know, we think we're getting ambushed, and they're bringing us their best chicken that they that they cleaned up and brought us as a meal. You know, they're bringing us tea and they're bringing us things to to thank us and encourage us for being there. You know, whether nobody wanted us there, but. But they didn't want the bath regime there either, and they were thankful that we're getting them away from that bath system that they that they've been indoctrinated to their whole yeah. life. Yeah, I had, we had an eighty-something-year-old man. Our translator told us he's been waiting most of his life to see us because of what Saddam was doing to these people, and just he knew because he had obviously way older than Saddam, so he had come from a time when it wasn't always this way, and then now, like whatever three quarters of his life has been changed into this ridiculous thing that Saddam was doing. And it, so that was one of the ones where I was kind of like, wait a minute, I thought they wanted us all either to translate or, you know, to become them or die. And this guy very much wasn't, and we ran into a lot of that too, you know, so. We found out most of what we were, you know, fighting over there weren't Iraqis. They were, you know, they were Syrian, they were Iranian, they were whatever, but most of, mostly they weren't Iraqi. Yeah. Not, not everyone was for sure. And so how long were you deployed over in that area? We did about nine and a half, ten months uh, collectively on the deployment, but in that area specifically about two months. Okay. Fallujah was where 2-1 went over there and got hit pretty hard. It so, did. Yeah, that was, a, that was a rough place to be, man. I'm, there's a part of me, like I've said to you before and on this podcast, that I still feel like I could have done something, and that I, and I know for a fact I've talked to the guys. I, there's nothing I could have done, and I would not be sitting here talking to you right now. So for that, I'm very grateful. There's always that thing where it's like, God damn, you know, yeah, it's a, it, but uh, from these guys that I trust very well, some of my personal heroes are like, trust me, you're, you're better off not being there. You know, as a, as a civilian and just, um, the only way I get stories is by hearing them, right? And a lot of it's on YouTube or, uh, documentaries or from talking to people like, like you guys, you know, uh, some of the sentiment is, vastly different some is it's exactly what i thought it was going to be you know i enjoyed my time um i remember all my brothers you know and some people are like man this is nothing that i thought it was going to be this is uh, basically they're not with the program anymore you know what i'm saying yeah just just thinking like high level very public uh pat tillman yeah you know things like that and his brother so how was your experience, Bobby? Were, was it what you thought it was going to be? Was it is your is your thoughts altered on the experience itself? Not your service, not fighting for your country, but your experience in in the thick of it. Yeah, I mean it was it was vastly different than I expected. To be honest with you, um, you know the the media paints a, a big picture of what we see and think daily, right? Whatever that may be. So even even being in the Marine Corps uh, at the time, you know, even talking to you know, occasionally the Marines that would come back that I knew or whatever, whatever the case was, you know, I always envisioned, you know, Hey, I'm driving around basically Fallujah, taking pop shots, getting in firefights all the time. That wasn't the case at all for us. You know, when we deployed, yeah, we, we got shot at uh, a lot of mortar fire, a lot of IEDs, uh, for the most time, for the most part, I should say, I mean, we were basically the bait, you know, we were just driving around waiting for somebody to ambush us or, or set off an IED, uh, vastly different than what I expected. But then after, you know, after kind of get into and get established for the first couple months and you start kind of getting used to mortar fire and, and things like that is weird, isn't it? Um, you know, you just form this brotherhood. That I guess you already had. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as that piece of it, you know, that, that'll stick with, with me forever. I mean, I, I think that's the one one thing that, that I, I miss the most is the camaraderie and the brotherhood. You know, there's Marines that I talk to today. You know, I might talk to them once every three years. And it's you're picking up 
like you just talked to the guy yesterday or 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And so that's the coolest part about yeah, it for me. For sure. Um, but just going back and looking at what we did and how we did it, you know, I, I'll to be honest with you, I can go back and, and, you know, make a case either way, whether we should have been there or not. Now I know the good things we did there. Um, and I'm proud and damn proud of those things. I know we helped a ton of people. Uh, so from that end of it, you know, I'm extremely proud to have a part in that. Um, on the backside of that, you know, there, there's reasons I, I joined the Marine Corps in the first place that, you know, some of that stuff leaves me with doubt of, you know, the reason I got into the Marine Corps might not have been the reason I thought I got into the Marine Corps, if that makes sense. Absolutely. absolutely. So, you know, there's things out there that, you know, as you dive into this, and as Dominic mentioned with the, the political side, you know, that's the stuff I didn't like about it, right? I mean, you're out there with your brothers and sisters, and you're eating the dirt, and you're doing these things, you know, uh, just to take orders from somebody that's never been there, and, and they're making money in the deal somehow, right? And you know, I shouldn't put it that way, but that's that's really a lot so of what it, comes it was, down to, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, what I'm hearing is the the story is the brotherhood uh, always is the camaraderie is the yeah getting each other's back and staying there forever. Yeah. Well, you have to. We we came up with a thing when we were in Kuwait, right? So there, I was uh, nineteen twenty. I know nothing about politics. I still don't to this day. Some yeah. of these guys were very much into it. We had to come to an agreement, no politics and no religion on this one, because that is going to split us. It's going to divide somewhere. If I know you're a, you're a red guy and I'm a blue guy, I don't, I'm not saying that anyone would ever not do their job for you. But So we, we, we left that in Kuwait. It was like very early into Kuwait. We were just like, nope, nope, no talk of it, no nothing. This is what we're here for. So, And I, I've said this too, and you know, Bobby, You've got your friends from here that are great people, and you love them, and you, you, you're going to know them the rest of your life, and they'll they'll come help you out anytime. But it's just a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more severe when you're talking about your Marine brothers. I can make calls, and these dudes will come across this country and help me right now. Yeah, and that's a special thing, man. And I don't, I, I've I've met a lot of people, been around the world, and I have never come across that since. Yeah, that's why I try to get my wife to understand too, right? I mean. If I had if I had a Marine call me up that and went, well hell I didn't, wouldn't even have to know him but if if I knew a Marine that needed help or they needed a place to stay my house is open to you yeah you know and my my wife would say well why are you gonna let somebody in that we don't know or maybe you do know and you haven't seen in twenty years that's my brother yeah they're, trust they're me gonna, they're gonna sleep here yeah he's fine yeah. he's fine we've been in the worst of the worst together well not the worst of the worst but in our lives the worst of some of the worst and uh, made it through that so he'll be okay. He can sleep in the dirt. Don't get. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. need a bed. Nothing fancy. Give yeah, us, you know, the creek back there is fine with him. Don't worry about. Give it. him a whoopie and yeah, be <laughs> fine. Well, anything else you want to mention about that before we turn a corner? No, let's turn the corner. Okay, let's turn the corner. All right, Bobby. So let's talk more about uh, the museum now. Let's turn a corner and talk about the museum and your role at the museum and uh, what our outlook is going forward uh, for the future of the museum. So. Kind of go ahead and introduce what you do for the museum, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so I actually just got introduced to the museum about two years ago. Uh, a coworker of mine who's a councilman in O'Fallon was telling me about all the, you know, all the things the city of O'Fallon have, has done for the current museum and things that they may be looking to do in the future. And so he recommended that I come up here and meet with Jim Higgins, uh, who wanted to assemble a, a board and kind of put systems in place and, and come up with a plan on how we can, we've outgrown where we're currently at. How can we generate funds to, to move to a new facility? Um, so I talked to Jim and, you know, again, I had no, no idea this place existed, even though I drive by it, you know, probably 20 times a day. You know, it's probably a little heavy, but regardless, I just, I walked through and Jim gave me the tour and I'm, I'm hearing the stories. I'm getting all the feels of, you know, trying to envision my grandpa in the Korean War. And then I'm looking at, you know, guys that, we're in the same, you know, battle uniform I wore and just, I mean, you get all these feelings, right? And it's a message that hit close to home that, yeah, I want, I want, I want to make sure our veteran stories are told. Um, so as a result, I ended up becoming a board member and, uh, Jim, uh, ended up stepping away from the board, which by default made me the board president, which is where I currently sit and happy to be sitting there. Um, so we, we've had a hard job as a board, you know, a, a first time newly formed board, made up of people from all different walks of life. Uh, we've got attorneys, we've got insurance salesmen, we've got, you know, chiropractors. We've just a, a wide range, of, a motley crew of, of folks, and, and ha some veterans, some non-veterans. And um, so anyway, we all share this mission of making sure our veteran stories are told. 
And the city of O'Fallon has, has been gracious enough to give us a, a premier, you know, couple acres right in front of the Justice Center off Bryan Road. Uh, so for those those for those of you not listening or not li- not from the area, I should say, uh, Interstate seventy, Highway seventy, and Bryan Road is a, a heavily heavily populated uh, intersection, and that's right where this prime property sits. Um, so we're coming up with ways to generate funds to to build a new museum, one that you know keeps the tradition and and uh, and virtues that that we carry at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. And we rebranded this to Mid America Veterans Museum, and our 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 plan behind this is to make sure every veteran story is told, and and that our name is widespread across the Midwest. I didn't know this until I joined the board, but there's more veterans uh, per capita in Missouri than any other state. Is that right? That's wow, right. I did not know that. Us yeah. Midwest boys. Yeah, we like to fight. We got to go get it. So it's uh you know country I, boy can't survive. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you were El Presidente. Well, Presidente. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one, I've never been on a board. Uh, so, so two, and then becoming, you know, yeah. default president of the board, which which I love. I say default and kind of jokingly. But, right. But Lori, you know, Lori Stock, I know you guys are familiar with her. Oh, you yeah. know, she's vice president. She yeah. does an amazing job. Yeah, so, she doesn't mess around either. No, she 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 picks up my baggage. Yeah. Um, and, again, another trait, sometimes – you don't know whether this is Iraq, whether this is on the board at a museum. Sometimes you don't know what might be put into your lap and you got to be ready to stand up and take charge of that thing and go, okay, now how can I do the best that I can do with this new thing that I know not a whole bunch about. And so that's another thing that I know, I'm sure Bobby's had this, you have a work ethic and and a set of like morals and, and things that you're just born with. Right. But some people, would be very intimidated by that kind of pressure and, and responsibility. And I think, I think people in every branch and, and non-military, there's special people that can step up and do stuff like that and make it happen. So yeah. Good on you. Neat about our board, you know, all walks of life, but everybody's in this for the right reason. You know, we, we've went through um, a few people that just didn't work out and, and it, it wasn't, you know, I'm not shaming them in any way. It just wasn't the right fit. Maybe it wasn't the right time in their life to do it. Right. And I question that too. I've got you know three kids at home. I'm I'm busy at work. I don't really have the time, but I, it means a lot to me. Mission accomplishment means a lot to me. Yeah. And uh, you know, everybody brings their own assets, but for me in the in, you know my real world, I, I work construction. I, I handle operations for a commercial uh, contractor, general contractor. And I thought at minimum, I, I can at least help with the bones of the building and how that structure works and. Which is huge. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to build a, a a new building, you know, let's let's be it out. Let's make sure we know we're getting the bang for the buck and, right. and know what you know we're going to do is going to be the right way and it's going to have longevity. You know, so I at least thought uh, you know I can bring that to the table. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. This new building is going to be a bit bigger than the one we are currently sitting. Yeah, in. Yeah, give us yeah. the deets on that, man. Yeah, yeah. So we want you know, the, we want the inside. We knowledge. want from the president. Yeah. That's right. Oh, president. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, you know, right now we're looking anywhere between 10,000, 15,000 square foot. It's kind of the, the wow. range we're looking at. Uh, we're in the very preliminary design phases of this. So, you know, where we're at today, we kind of got a, uh, you know, a, a land survey of where this plot's going to sit. And we're trying to figure out what we can do civilly to, to get the most bang for our buck out of this site. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's things that, you know, we want to bring the community to, to the community. We want this to be a place that not only veterans can go and and kind of reflect and deal with PTSD with different out, you know, uh, different you know, resources to to improve our lives, but but also you know, so those in our community understand you know really what what we're about, right? Yeah. Uh, we want kids to be able to come, you know, on field trips and sit down part. and you know understand you know where we're coming from and what these stories are and things that you're not going to hear in a history book. Or reading a history book, I should say. Yeah, um, we want this to be a place where you know different, you know different groups that are making a difference, like the Boy Scouts, uh, you know, Junior Marines, whatever it may be, uh, can come utilize the space, have an area for them. Uh, we want an area like like we have here currently with a with a garden outside where you know some veterans may not want to come in here and experience what we have here, but if you have an area that they can go to and just be quiet and seek refuge. You know, they for a lot of times you might find them here in the middle of the night in the garden, just sitting on a bench, reflecting and it's quiet. And thinking, yeah, yeah. You know, just reminiscing or whatever yeah. it may be to to help heal them. And 
you know, that's what we're about. You know, we want to be able to offer a wide, wide range of resources to whoever needs it. <clears throat> podcast studio, <clears throat> podcast studio. Yeah, podcast studio. <laughs> Since we got you here, let's, let's, let's get to it. No, we, we were talking about that though. And it would be, I think it'd be awesome to, you know, kind of have glass and let people see this thing and yeah. just have people come in and say, Hey, you know, we're not, we, we, I just think it would be really cool. But the kids thing, I think Lori was the last person I was talking to about the, the um, field trips and stuff. And my kids are uh, junior high, be going into high school here. Um, but there's so much for kids to do here. My kids have loved coming here for years and yeah. with a building that big and all the new stuff. I, I think that's a really good idea to get the kids involved too. Now, when you cast a vision that big, 15,000 square feet, <clears throat> new build, moving stuff around, inevitably there's a cost to it. There's a labor of love cost. And then there's an actual cost. Absolutely. And uh, as many people might not know, even though uh, branding changed or changing, um, with the name St. Charles County Veterans Museum, many people thought that the county was funding this. And yeah, that's, that's just not true. That's not true. Yeah, we, we are a non-for-profit. And, uh, you know, that was the stigmatization that came with it, right, was that you're you're a public entity and therefore, you know, we're, we're funded by O'Fallon or the St. Charles County directly. And it's not the case. No, every, every dollar that comes through here is, is either corporately uh, donated to us or, or just, you know, men and women throughout, you know, the area that want to contribute and, and donate to this cause. And every penny, every dollar is cared for and appreciated. And when you talk about, you know, sometimes people get kind of uh, skittish when you talk about money, but money is what drives results, especially in this type of environment. What is what is the initial thought or cost of what the vision um, layout would be? Yeah, so I've been doing cost analysis on this just based on, you know, like projects we built. And uh, you try to put the inflation in that, which is harder to do now than ever because right. material, price, yeah. yeah. It fluctuates so much. It used to be a little easier to put tabs on, but you know, I basically calculated this at five hundred dollars a square foot. I kind of, on average, could be a little north of that, but you know, we're looking at eight million dollars minimum that we need to come up with. Yeah, and we've got a lot of irons in the fire. You know, um, some friends at the the state level that are helping, trying to drive grant opportunities for us, matching grant type situations, and you know, we've uh, we're putting a book of business together, and we're we're really trying to to get our stuff together so we can go give a presentation to Boeing and you know, all the heavy hitters out here that, Hey, look, you know, this is what we're about. We know your, your love for veterans help us out. You know, if we will give you naming rights or we'll, we'll figure something out. Right. So that, that's where we're at in the process of now. Um, I know this uh, won't air today, so I'm going to go ahead and disclose this, but we, we hired an executive director. Hey. Yeah. So that's a big, I mean, that's a big milestone for us. That's wow. the first paid position uh, ever at the museum. Really? And uh, we, we just got that agreement made yesterday, and uh, I, w- I won't say her name yet, but you guys will probably know her. And, um, you know, she's already connected within the local community. Awesome. And uh, I think with the help of the rest of the board members and kind of where we're at, we're, we're going to start knocking on doors. We're going to start getting people involved. Um, one of the things that, that I'm going to make a personal mission of mine this year is we've, you know, on our website, getting reoccurring donations. You know, I want to get 100 of my friends just donate 10, 20 bucks a month. Right. You know, and, and that that ten dollars a month is is nothing to nothing for me. I mean, that's a, a soda and a you know bag of chips and a bang or something at a gas station. Yeah. Where you know, I'd much rather give ten dollars a month in the museum, and you know, hopefully, a hundred of my friends think the same way. Right. I was going to say that you talked about you know funding from the county and stuff like that. I, I don't think any of us love taxes, and when you see your gross pay and then your net pay, you're like, oh my god. But yeah. I'd be a lot more stoked if a couple tax dollars went to something like, you know I mean? Unfortunately you can't decide or make that decision, but I'd be all right with that for sure. So folks at home, if you guys are listening, please check out the website. MAVM.org. So that's MAVM.org. Mid America Veterans Museum is going to be the new name when we, when everything gets going, that'll be the new name of it. Um, and I'm guessing when you go there, you there is a tab to donate. There is, yeah. There's a tab there uh, at the top right of the page, or at least last time I was on there, top right of the page. Um, All the info, I'm sure. And, it's, and it's being a 501c3 tax deductible? It is tax, tax deductible. Okay. What's the time horizon, estimated time horizon? That's the hard part. So right now we're, we're really hoping to break ground spring at 26. Um, you know, nice. With that... How much money do we theoretically need in hand to break ground? 
Well, I'd like to have at least 80% of that in hand. Okay. And there's some other, you know, irons in the fire out there that, you know, one of the things that we're looking at, there's a, uh, a veterans organization that, that currently is, uh, main offices in DC and they're looking to get more located in the, the Midwest. Uh, so that's a huge opportunity for us. And, and if we can make that work, we might have to make the building a little bigger. Uh, but it, it offers, you know, outsource, uh, shouldn't say outsource offers, uh, more resource officers and like outreach. Yeah. Outreach. Yeah. You know, so if we had a permanent tenant here and had something established like that, we think that would be a valuable partnership for, for both of us. Uh, so that may change some things too, but yeah, you know, in short, yeah, we need about, I'd say six and a half million dollars to really kick this thing off. Where are we to date? If you have a number? Well, so we just had our, our first fundraiser was, uh, in November of 23, which is our, now was our inaugural gala. Uh, we, we raised about 120,000 there. We're up to about 140,000 ish currently. So again, that's just a, a drop in the bucket yeah. for what we're after. Uh, buy a couple two by fours with that these yeah, days. Yeah. That's it. Right. A sheet of plywood. Yeah. Um, you know, but th- what that did allow us to do is to open the floodgates to, to bring it on an executive director. That's going to help us raise these funds. And, you know, we have to be aggressive and, and as a working board, which is what we are, we're, we're a, a semblance of board members that all have full-time jobs or run businesses and families, you know, families, right? So we, we can only do so much. We're actively looking for help. We're trying to form committees and subcommittees that will go out and put up, put on events for us at, at our benefit and, and get those funds to us so we can, we can expand and grow and get our name out there and, and do this thing. Yeah. So absolutely. Everybody I've ever brought in here, which I, in, intentionally bring everybody that I possibly can. Sure. Uh, I've brought colleagues from Kansas City. I've brought colleagues from St. Louis. I've brought anybody, the family, friends, anybody I can bring here, and they're all uh, pleasantly surprised at what they get here. Yeah, definitely. It's completely different from any other model that I've ever seen as far as telling the stories, keeping them alive. And that's what the the uh, the founder of this museum, the the thought uh, genius on this museum was his idea. Yeah. Keep the story alive. Yeah. Well, I, I've had guys come through town, and it's a mixed bag, I think, with, with veterans. You know, some of them want to take part in stuff like this. Some of them, I've had enough of that. I That's not my thing. And, and the guys that I've had come through town are like, wow, wow who did all this? You know, they're they're taken aback as well and it, that's kind of cool because they can be pretty tough customers sometimes when it comes to stuff like this you know yeah, yeah. definitely a labor of love everybody except for what you just mentioned is a, is a volunteer yeah yeah we, we've got amazing volunteers here the numbers are on the rise and we need that to continue you know trending that way um you know god bless our volunteers but a lot of the, a lot of the volunteers we have are 80 plus years old sure you know so bringing in some young blood and, and getting some support behind that's needed um you mentioned, you know, the founder, Ralph Borelli. I mean, the vision that he had and, and then Jim Higgins and, and Marsha and, and uh, Renee and, and the whole team that, that made his vision a reality. It's just amazing to me. And we're actually coming up on our five-year anniversary here, uh, here shortly. Amazing. So, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, Bobby, thank you for uh, joining us tonight in the studio. Um, I mean, a wealth of information. Thank you for sharing your personal story. A lot of it. There's probably so much more we could dig into, but uh, I appreciate the time. Dominic, thank you for uh, being here tonight, too. And giving, Great to be back, man. Giving some feedback there. Is there anything else you guys would like to uh, say to our, our listeners before we uh, sign off tonight? Well, Bobby, I wanted to tell you this and the listeners. Um, I've got some brothers who have started. A, it's called Legacy Military Reunions. Um, the idea behind this is to... Let me ask you, have you and your guys, do you guys do reunions? We just talked about last week. We got our 20-year this year so is what we're trying to set up. But have you done one in 20 years? No, we haven't. It's too long, right? It is. I mean, you would agree. You know? Oh, yeah, we got to get together. I've only been to one. We've got another one coming up in California at the end of the month. And there were a lot of reasons um, why I kind of shied away from it. It hasn't always been really big, but it was always a handful of guys. Hey, man, we're getting this cabin in Colorado. Everybody come up there. And I, it's just, I, there's, it's a, it's a whole story as everybody has, you know? Um, but the last one I went to, um, it was a game changer for me, for sure. To see these guys and to get to talk to them. And it was a powerful, sad 
super happy and and i mean like you said when we catch up you you haven't missed a beat even though we're all old and like dads now and stuff you know yeah. it it brought us all back for two or three days so these brothers of mine um have been working so hard on trying to get these reunions together that three of them came together and they're like let's let's make this happen not just for us though but for everyone else that's incredible yeah so um people at home um if you want to check out LegacyMilitaryReunions.org, um, you can go there and find all the information. Um, again, it's a nonprofit. Um, they run on uh, donations. So, But I don't think it's just for us. I think that you know the Vietnam guys, I think anybody who has served, it's tough to get away sometimes and go be with the guys again or the gals again. But what these guys are doing is they'll organize your whole trip for you. They'll do their best they can to fund it for you. So... That being said, you guys are talking about yours. I'd love to turn you on to my buddies and, and see if we can get you help and just yeah, organize. Love to get connected, yeah. Certainly. I mean, organizing the thing. If they if they don't have the funds because they're brand new, they can at least like they'll go out of their way and set it up, not just for Marines, for every branch. So uh folks at home, if you if you know anybody, grandpa, brother, dad, anybody that often talks about their the guys that they miss and that camaraderie and that brotherhood, there are ways that we can get these guys back together. And for me, it just took 19 years of weight off of me. I'm getting like chills thinking about it, but it, it took this weight off of me that I, I needed for a long time. And a lot of stuff, you know, you, you could have done something better. I should have been there. I should have done this. I could have been faster. Da, da, da. But uh, talking with these guys for a few days, it put a lot of that stuff to rest, you know? And, and so I'm holding on to this thing for 20 years that if I just had a chance earlier to sit down and talk to you, I could have let that go a long time ago. It would have saved both of us a whole bunch of trouble. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, I love everything you just said, it's, Dominic. It's it's pretty cool. So I'll, I'll get you hooked up. But folks at home, if you'd like to check out that um, website, please do. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can get some people together and get everybody healthy. And I think it's good for us all. Bobby, any last words for you? Yeah, I just want to thank you guys for having me, Jason. It, it's an amazing experience, and I appreciate everything you guys are doing. Um, one thing I wanted to throw out there and just plug is, uh, you know, our We've got a, a charity walk every year. It's called 22 Strong. Uh, we've got the virtual walk coming up here in April, and uh, we've got our, our live walk coming up September 7th. Uh, the Mid-America Veterans Museum is a beneficiary of that, but if you happen to be in the area or even if you're not in the area and you want to join uh, you know, remotely, virtually, uh, basically the way that sets up is you, you walk a mile a day or whatever you want to do, and, and it's pretty neat. Uh, the 22-mile walk is just that. It's a 22-mile walk to raise uh, – Raise awareness for veteran suicide, and uh, all those funds go to some amazing veterans organizations, museum being one of them. Uh, Focus Marines is another. Yep. Uh, Six String Heroes is another one. Uh, Reemerge. Uh, but just some amazing, amazing uh, people out there and groups out there that are helping veterans all across the board in many different ways. And, and the more we can do that and, and help one another, I, I think we'll be a better America. What's the site for that? How do they sign up for that? You know, I, I'm going to have to get that to you. Okay. We'll put, we'll put it in the show notes once Bobby gets it to me. People it's, want to uh, help, man. People are trying to help. You just got to let them. I think it's www.buildingchange.com. Got I'd, it. I'd have to I'll, – let me check on that. I'm gonna check on to, that. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm going to have to take off for that one this year. I wasn't able to last year, but I'm going to take off this year. Yeah, I've seen a lot of personal uh, growth and development for people that take part in that. That has changed them forever. So not only are they helping others, but they're helping themselves. I don't want to keep you, but we had a, a local firefighter here walk 22 miles in full gear. Uh, amazing person. Stud. He's a stud. We, we call I know him, him personally. Yeah, yeah, I do too. We call him Cherry Limeade in the F3 world. And then, uh, he's actually he's putting together a, a book called Notes from Dad, and I'm going to write a chapter of that. And we had a meeting last night on that as well, and I'm super excited about wow, it. Wow, that sounds so, cool. Yeah, it's going to be neat. Yeah, and, uh, you know. Walking 22 miles in and of itself, and folks, you don't, you're not forced to walk the 22, but like that's a big, that'll change your stuff up for sure. So much less walking with all these people, and you got 22 miles to walk. It takes a few hours, so you can get some really good stories and feedback, and, and you know, find out some pretty cool stuff about some pretty cool people. And you can. It's a great experience. I, I urge everybody to do it, and uh, you know, again, no shame if you walk one mile or three or whatever it may be. It's not in the between. point. Yeah, yeah, it's not the point of how far you walk, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a great experience. Good deal. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this evening. We're going to sign off of the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum, rebranded as the Mid-America Veterans Museum.
Turning 65 or new to Medicare? Joe Rumbolo's Medicare Made Easy works hard for our veterans. Did you know you may be eligible to enroll in a Medicare plan and keep your VA health, drug, CHAMP VA, and TRICARE for Life benefits? We offer a range of different plans from a large number of top-rated carriers. We can find a plan that will best suit your needs. A Medicare Advantage plan specifically designed for veterans and spouses who are entitled to VA health benefits, CHAMP VA, or TRICARE for Life may offer extra benefits to you that you may not otherwise receive, like dental, hearing, and vision coverage, over-the-counter products allowances every quarter, one-way trip transportation to the doctors, Part B premium give back, fitness programs, personal emergency response system. Please contact Joe Rumbola today at 314-753-0792 for any of your Medicare needs. The Dog Tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.